Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Welcome to the podcast and welcome to 2017. What a thing, huh? Time. Terrible. Uh, I wanted to say thank you everyone who sent me lovely birthday messages. Thank you everyone who sent lovely New Year's messages. If you want to send me a message, alicerfraser at gmail.com or hit me up on my Patreon, patreon.com slash alicefraser where I put up blogs and... Uh, for the most part, those are freely accessible, though occasionally if it's a quite a personal post or something that I feel cost me something to say, I will put it under the $1 a month subscription tab, which means that only subscribers can see it. But I, I don't really want to limit that access by how much you subscribe uh, for, so I, it's a just going to be a dollar a month. Because if you can't afford a dollar a month, then you should not be trying to pay me a dollar a month. Uh, if you really can't afford a dollar a month but still want access to that to those articles, email me, alicearfraser at gmail.com and we'll figure something out. Uh, that said, I have had just a really nice beginning of the year. Uh, I'm in London at the moment. If you are in London or have friends in London... I'm doing gigs all over the place and it's worth following me on Twitter at alliterative to find those out. But also I'm doing, or slightly more importantly, I'm doing a trial show of Empire on the 23rd of January at Star of Kings in King's Cross in London. So if uh, you want to see a pretty prototype fetus show come along then. It won't be the most fetus show. I did a trial on the 4th of January where way more people showed up than I had wanted to. Uh, I mean, you know, that first show is just reading off notes, you know, it's just seeing if things that were funny in your head are funny in real life. So I was expecting, you know, I, I just did a tweet about it. I was expecting maybe six people and probably 50 people showed up. So that was... Yeah. I think some people who showed up hadn't even seen any comedy before and I was I felt very uh I felt very responsible for for that. I you know, I was like, you know, this isn't what comedy normally looks like. Uh not I mean, not only is my comedy not always what comedy looks like, but this form of comedy reading off notes uh is not usually how it goes. So that was uh an interesting experience, sort of going between what I wanted to do, which was try things and fail uh, and see what failed. Imp very important part of the getting something funny is uh, figuring out what isn't funny. But also I wanted to make sure that these people had a nice night uh, because they'd given up their time to come and see uh, a stranger do hopefully jokes. So that was a, uh, an experience unprecedented un, uh, in my life that said 2017 i have goals i'm expanding the podcast with the th help of the grant amp foundation gave me so that's going to be cool i'll be doing the la Podfest this year if i can get that sorted out in time and i will be talking to slightly higher profile guests if you have somebody who you would like me to talk to at the moment in london or uh, generally around the world please let me know tweet them or tweet me uh, and I will do my level best to talk to them to have tea with them to rack their brains for interesting ideas to see where we agree and disagree so this week's episode is with Kirsty Newton I have a couple in the bank uh, with some really interesting people and I hope you keep listening thank you so much everyone who has been listening I'm going to let you get on with listening to the show because this is a longer intro than I normally do but it's the beginning of the year so allow me some self-indulgence uh, if you can't subscribe to the Patreon patreon.com slash Alice Fraser feel free to tweet about it tell other people about it leave a five-star review on iTunes uh, if you don't want to leave a five-star review on iTunes you can just tell me your opinion personally and not affect my rankings <laughs> unless you really have a vendetta against me in which case do do what you like um but you maybe think about why you hate listening to a podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. You're having tea with Alice. See you next week. Okay. Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Uh, this week's episode is with Kirsty Newton. Hello. Who, uh, would you like to tell our listener who you are and what you do? Hello. My name is Kirsty, and I am 
a musician, comedian, performer, entertainer, slash all the other stuff that I don't really... I'm, I have real problems in defining what I am. That's actually. good. I'm, I, I try to avoid labels myself, yeah. which is terrible for marketing. All, yeah. peop- all people want is just a one-sentence way to describe you, and my whole life has been spent trying to avoid being able to be summed up in one sentence. I think that is the first time I've described myself as a comedian. That's just because you just said to me, I think you're a comedian. Like, well, yeah. you are a comedian. I've seen one of your shows. Uh, <laughs> so uh, what are you drinking? Hmm. I am currently drinking English breakfast tea with this touch of honey in my throat. Because <laughs> ah, you've got a gig tonight. I have a gig tonight. Um, I'm going to move on to green tea after this, though, I think. I do. Yeah, I'm playing at the cellar door tonight which is the first, so... That's a big gig in London, well, is no, it? Well, no, it's a tiny, tiny gig. I think there's only room for about 40 people in there. But, but a fancy gig? A prestigious gig? Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I'm going to find head? out. Is in it my head. It, I've always known about the cellar door. I've never been there, so I'm quite excited about it. Yeah, I, I ha- there's, there's people like that in, uh, who you really want to work with who aren't famous at all, but they're famous in your head yes. or places. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. What have you been uh, thinking about recently? What have you been wrestling with? Um, well, last night I was wrestling with the fact that I couldn't sleep again. I'm an insomniac and I, I don't sleep very often. And it's usually because I can't turn my brain off. So I was thinking about all the things that keep my brain whirring around, like why do I say yes to these gigs when I don't really know what I'm doing? And <laughs> it's that feeling of fraud, fraudulence, I think, you know, that kind of... Uh, imposter syndrome. Yeah, the imposter syndrome. Which why do you think you feel that? Or why do you, do you think I've that other people... Because I've been winging everything my whole life. I'm sure everyone else is as well, but everyone else kind of seems to do it with more panache. <laughs> so you think people can see the cracks? Or what's the fear there? I don't there? know. I don't know. I think the fear is that Usually it's unfounded. Usually I get away with it and I kink. that's why I'm still here. But I don't know. I think it's when, when you're lying awake in bed, it's all your insecurities and anxieties come to the fore. And then you just go around in circles or do you find any productiveness out of it? I, sometimes I, you know, I'll come up with an idea of, like I, I was, because I couldn't make any noise last night because I would have woken up the rest of the house. So I'm uh, trying to write songs in my head, which is really hard actually. Yeah, given that songs happen in your ears. Yeah, although they happen in my head as well, but trying to remem- retain them until morning oh. <laughs> is difficult. Do you, do you have a notebook by your bed? I do. And can you write on that? I do. It's sometimes I can't really... Read it's it not the next it's morning? It's yeah, it's not so much about the words, it's more about the, um, the musical ideas. Uh-huh. Uh, but do you know. have do you have musical training? Can you do musical notation, or is it? Oh, it takes too long. I'd rather do it. Just when I can do it, I can do, but not not when I'm lying in bed in the dark. Well, certainly <laughs> when I write words in the dark. If I roll over in bed at night and write <laughs> words by the morning, I can't read them often. No, They're exactly. just scrawl. So I imagine like the precise gradations of where it is on a on a. What I'd prefer to do, what I do during the day, is just kind of sing into my phone. Uh, a melody or a chord sequence and then that can go from there but anything else at night <laughs> it's not that easy I can't do chord sequences I can only really do mel- melodies um, and only and va- only vaguely I tend to I tend well, to good. build around jokes the thing is that the great thing is if you can do a melody then you can put all sorts of chord sequences to it the melody is yeah. what sticks. I think you can put all sorts of chord sequences <laughs> to it. We should do this. We should, do we should definitely. We should definitely. I need more musical um, knowledge. I'm not at all a musician. I, I'm. I come at I it from the comedy angle. Well, I'm looking forward to having you at my gig on Tuesday. Oh, that will be fun. Doing some music. Yes, if you're comedy. in London, you should come on Tuesday, the 10th of January. That's right, to Distraction Club. It's downstairs at the Phoenix in Cavendish Square, just behind Oxford Circus, and it's. A really fun show. It's uh, it sounds it sounds like a lot of fun. I I do enjoy, I do enjoy musical gigs. Yeah, we we kind of started this. It's been going six years, and we started it because musical comedy had a terrible reputation, uh, you know, for being kind of lazy comedy. So we wanted to show that there was a lot of different kinds of musical comedy, and it didn't have to be lazy or bad. Yeah, I think my, inventive and, and my main inspiring. problem with musical comedy when it's bad is that it's the same joke repeated. Yeah, like I know. which I mean, in in a musical 
song, <laughs> in a song that is primarily uh, written for the purposes of making something musical, yeah. um, you want repeated choruses and refrains and so on and so forth. But you would very rarely in real life uh, repeat a joke. No, that's true. Um, thank you. So I think, for me, unless it works as a joke first, then you shouldn't be a song. So often I'll, I'll do my songs first as almost as poems yes. with no music behind them at all. And if they get laughs, then you can make them into... That's a nice idea, actually. I've never... Because I come at... I, I think I guess I come from it from a musical point of view because I was a musician first and I, I fell into doing comedy completely by accident. So what I'm very glad I did. What about comedy appeals to you? What has kept you in it? Um, oh, sorry. I can hold it. <laughs> uh, mainly the, the people, I think. I was saying, I'll hold that and you can cut your thing. Are you sure? <laughs> yes. Um, mainly the people. So it's I think that so, yes. I was like... I came I came in from a very from a musical point of view and I went you know I, a lot of musicians take themselves very seriously mm. so it was nice to kind of come in and discover a whole a whole industry of people who um who were intelligent and funny and informed and stayed up as late as I did <laughs> and um and and seemed to kind of embrace me really quickly and easily and and I just felt really at home just instantly yeah um, which was lovely that is that's a very valuable thing yeah not that I didn't feel at home in the music industry but there's a lot of snakes in the music industry who are just out to do you over really so. I don't know. I guess. I guess. You I don't felt think there was there's a lot as much treachery in comedy. Mm, there hasn't been in my experience. I'm not saying that there isn't, but yeah. Oh, I, I'm not. I think I'm not I questioning you. Yeah, I'm just no, no. I think. Um, or rather, I am questioning you, but I'm not in a way where <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I know, know the I truth, know. and you're an idiot. <laughs> no, about I know, and I'm, and I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure in all industries, there's kind of you know, good, great people and terrible people, but no, I haven't really experienced too many. I've, I've experienced a few, and I, I know who to stay clear of. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine the other day about um, warning young women coming into the industry. And I'm, I'm thinking about talking about this on stage, but I don't know if it's okay. Uh, because there's a guy in the Sydney comedy scene who is lovely. A comedian or a... No, a, he's a, a, a punter. A lovely, massive fan of yeah. comedy. A little bit too much yeah. of a fan. A little bit too... Uh, yeah. Long hugs, a little kisses, a little too close to your mouth, uh, and he's, you know, he'll buy tickets to all your shows. He'll buy drinks for everyone. He'll offer you a lift home after gigs, which you do not take. No. Uh, but I was talking to a friend of mine about like who we should warn young women coming into the industry. I think they're about. everywhere. I don't think they're just in yeah. No, but uh, this was the thing I was saying. Should we warn? Uh, let's call him Steve. Should we warn? girls coming into the industry about Steve. And but also, is, has anyone had a word with Steve himself? Well, I don't know. Hmm. But that's the thing, is like, he's perfectly nice if you don't let him touch your thigh in the car. Like, <laughs> then, then if he, that sounds, I mean, I would, I'm very much of the, like, I would definitely want to go to Steve and say, listen, we appreciate your support. And I think, yes, one, one, girls and women coming into the industry about it but I think also try and say to Steve listen if you I, I don't want to upset you but do you know how that this you have a reputation yeah well, see my sense is that you shouldn't warn young women against Steve because he is so harmlessly predatory like he is he's like your practice run <laughs> 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 you know, he's like level one boss. If you can't get past him, <laughs> everyone else in the industry is going <laughs> to eat you alive. I guess. I, th I, th I mean, that's I'd a want to nip it in the bud. <laughs> no, I didn't want. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. I don't know. That's a difficult one. I mean, I probably will warn them, but <laughs> somehow I, I would. I would definitely want to speak to Steve. This is why I would do. You see, I'd have a few drinks and I'd go. Do you know what? Ne someone needs to tell him. Mm. I'm. I'm always that person. And then afterwards, I go, oh, maybe I wasn't very tactful. Does that get you in trouble? Yeah. 
What kind of trouble? I think some people think I'm too full on sometimes or I'm too annoying or, you know, I don't know. It's just my, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, if it's something that you keep doing, clearly there's something good about <laughs> it for you. You get something out of it. Has it I don't know. It's always kind of rather than just standing by and watching something, I always want to try and do something about it. And have you been effective? I've no idea. I think so. I'd like to think so. I don't know. It's um. I have no examples that are springing to mind right now. When I, I haven't slept, so my brain is not firing on full cylinders. What have you tried to deal with your insomnia? I've been to workshops. Workshops? Um, What's yeah, an insomnia like workshop? Like it's like a yoga, yoga for sleep workshop. Okay. So trying to figure out kind of meditation and, and uh, yoga positions and things like that to help me relax and zone out. And um, I've been to the doctor and I've been prescribed all sorts of, you know, actual sleeping pills and which I prefer to not try and take. I've looked into alternative therapies. I've looked into... What's the, <laughs> what's the most out there thing that you have ever done in pursuit of a good night's sleep? It's not very out there, but I've tried all sorts of things like running up and down stairs like constantly until I'm so tired. But that doesn't, that doesn't shut my brain off. It just makes, makes my body tired. Okay. That's my body's not the problem. My body is tired. I'm 40 years old. My body's getting more tired all the time. My brain still is going, yeah, I'm seven years old. <laughs> like, I'm really awake. I'm like, oh, my God. God. Um, the most out, out there thing I've done, I don't know, I've read a lot of stuff. I listen to you. <laughs> listen to all sorts of kind of white noise and whale music. <laughs> white noise stuff. for baby sleep is my favourite one. Uh, it doesn't work. Soothing rain, white noise for mm. baby sleep. It doesn't work on me. I, do, I really do. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't put me to sleep, but it does help but me like if it. there's noise. Yeah. So I'm, I'm quite noise sensitive. Yeah. When I sleep, so... I think I am. The problem is because I'm married and my, my husband needs like nine hours sleep. I mean, he's, he's probably still in bed right now. I'm not kidding. He's been asleep and snoring for about nine hours now. Wow. And Did you know this when you partnered up? That you were... No. And we are the most... It's the biggest disparity in Does our Does it cause conflict? Or yeah. Because yeah, you... It drives him insane that I can't sleep. Mm. And it drives me insane that he's he always finds asleep. It so easy. <laughs> is it that you know he's? Is it just that late night he's snoring? You can't sleep, and then the snoring becomes the world, or is a it little more? Bit, just but no, I'm quite good at. He's quite. He doesn't mind me moving him, and he's used to that. We've been together ten years, so yeah, kind of I'll just shut, move him around. <laughs> so he's sort of, and he's he's pretty good at kind of going back to sleep if I wake him up, but. Have you ever made him wear one of those Bane masks? You should see what he's wearing right now. He um, <laughs> so he has like started a few years ago, and he he loves his sleep masks. But it started with one of the tiny ones. At the moment, the one he's got is like covers most of his head. It just wraps around his head. It's velvet and silk. He's a real princess. <laughs> <laughs> what color is it? Deep turquoise. Oh, beautiful! <laughs> That's glorious. I approve of that. <laughs> I, I, you should look up online. Um, we we got we, uh, when we got married. We had two best men, both of them comedians, uh, Matt Kirshen and uh, Carrie Marks, and we got them sleep masks for <laughs> for their kind of a little present. And uh, for Christmas this year, we have bought Matt Kirshen um, the ostrich uh, pillow. You need to look it up online. It's one of the most ridiculous looking things. You put your whole head in it, and then you put your hands in it. Oh yeah, I've seen <laughs> it. It looks like a. It, it looks, looks like, like an alien costume. Yes, yeah. it does. Uh, so it's for sleeping in public places, basically. Mm. That would terrify me. I yep. do not like sleeping in public places. It no. would make me feel extremely vulnerable. I, I mean, I, I don't think I ever have, or if I have, I'm not aware of it. So, <laughs> micro sleeps. <laughs> yeah. um, 
But wake me up if I nod off. I, I will. I was watching a <laughs> dating show the other day about, it's called The Undateables, and it is the most heartbreaking thing. Aww. But there was a girl in it who had narcolepsy. Oh, wow. Um, did she keep falling asleep on the yeah, date? Yeah, she just kept... Oh, I think she only did it once in the course of the date, so she has to have a nap every sort of couple of hours. But how long did she fall asleep for when she fell asleep? I think it's about twenty minutes. It's all it okay. was all in the editing. It's not but like four hours. It's not like four hours, <laughs> but yeah, it, w- it made me think. You know how much I take for granted sleep. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's such a. Do you find it okay to sleep? Do you? Can you yeah, sleep okay? I can get to sleep easily. I can't always stay asleep i think when i was in uh cambridge which was the last time i had really full control over my own hours right um i thought i was insomniac um because i wake up in the middle of the night uh, i wake up at about uh, four o'clock in the morning and i stay awake till about six or seven and then i sleep for another three hours so i and then i looked into it a little bit because it was frustrating to me because i didn't feel unhealthy doing it but it was just every night I would wake up and I couldn't get back to sleep until I'd sort of potted around a bit and then I looked it up uh, and there's like a biphasic sleep yeah. thing that is actually no, that's, quite that's natural quite a, and a normal thing historically and do it all the time accurate yeah so I spent a lot of time and energy worrying about something that is totally normal and fine and legitimate and uh, I think it was a lesson to me about maybe just you know d- Ask your body first. More. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Ask first if it's causing you trouble, rather yeah. than if it's only troublesome because you think it should be a problem. It's the thing. For years, my insomnia didn't really bother me too much because I was still functional, and I was still, I was, it was still easy for me to just get by. And people were like, "How are you? If you haven't, you know, had two hours sleep, and I'm like, I'm actually okay. And sometimes I'd even be in a bit of a state of euphoria. You n- not euphoria, but maybe um, extra creative. I can't really explain it. Yeah, yeah, that's that's quite well recognised. You do your creativity boosts when you when have less sleep. I used, to, I used sleep. to go in and teach. I was teaching primary school kids, and I was like, you know. Um, but some of my best lessons were <laughs> after I'd had kind of a quite a sleep deprived night. I'd, I'd seem to be on a kind of a different level, and come up with some crazy schemes for lessons and stuff Innovative. which is fun do you like teaching do you know i've been teaching for 15 and a half years and i always said i would never be a teacher because both my parents were teachers and i always saw kind of how much extra work you had to do behind the scenes as such and i kind of swore i never would do it but then i i was working in shops and bars and and i just it, the opportunity arose for me to to teach in, in a very nice private primary school um, and be the music teacher. And I kind of, you know, it would have been silly for me to not take it. And I was a natural, and I've I've been doing it ever since. And and yeah, it's very, you know, I do like teaching, but I am ready for a break. <laughs> I'm ready to come back. You know, I can always teach again when I'm sixty. So I'm quite happy to to try and edge out the teaching a little bit now and in favour of performing. more performing. performing and writing and it's amazing how many people ask me to teach them instruments I have no idea how to play it's like I, I can't people think sometimes people think music is kind of this magical Transferable thing, thing. <laughs> like, like, I'm like I can't just magic it out of nowhere it just has to come from somewhere yeah my mum used to play Almost any instrument that you yeah. put I mean in I can, I can, I can, I can get a tune. I can get a tune out of most things, but I wouldn't consider myself a teacher of those instruments. I, I, you know. Did you study music officially, or did you teach yourself? I, um, I did. Well, you know what happened was I used to. I was given a Glockenspiel when I was really tiny, and uh, I used to just sit and play along with my dad's records. My dad is a huge music fan. Used to they kind of built their own house so they could play records really loudly. That's amazing. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, they, I just didn't realise that what I was doing was unusual. Um, yeah, I used to just I constantly play along, note perfectly with everything, and, and my, I went to a really musical primary school. And um, my teacher... 
my teacher noticed. I mean, she was getting us all to sing in harmonies by the time we were five or six. You know, she was brilliant, and uh, she noticed and took my parents aside and went, "You know what? She's she's not normal. <laughs> you should get a piano." That's a conversation you want to have <laughs> as a parent. <laughs> not, your child's not normal in a no, good way. In a good way, though. Yeah. So I got, I went to this amazing, inspiring teacher called Sylvia Forbes in Manchester. I mean, we had to drive like for an hour every every week, each way. Wow. Um, but it was worth it because she was incredible. Um, and she, yeah, she brought out the musicality in me and, and kind of taught me. I mean, I wish I could teach like she did, but I have no idea how she did it. it just for me, it was fun. Yeah. So, I, you know. But she died when I was 13, which um, which now, come to think of it, is when I started going off the rails a little bit. And it's interesting to kind of put these two things together. So when you say off the with rails... Hindsight, um, as in, up until then, I'd just always been trying my best to do my, you know, to be the best and try my hardest. And, and when I was 13, I suddenly went, who am I doing this for? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? What? It's, I'm just blindly doing what people are asking. I'm just trying to please everybody. What about me? It's quite early to have that recognition. Well, that's why I think it has probably something to do with. I mean, I mean, losing someone who is very important to me. There's a rebellion stage that's sort of a teenage thing, but that yeah. sounds like a more profound sort of rejection of yes, of just not just of authority, but of expectation, expectation and, and yeah. yeah, ambition and all of those things. Yeah, yeah, yes. quite quite existential. Would do you remember being upset about it? Oh yeah, like yeah, completely. So I remember being confused sort of and, and always feeling, you know, I kind of a little, uh, yeah, I just remember not, not really knowing how to go about myself yeah, and about my life and just torn between not wanting to hurt anyone, but at the same time wanting to push boundaries and, and figure out who I was. That's interesting. I think grief is a really interesting thing, p particularly at that age, because you don't really know how it's meant to go. Mm. You don't know what what the formulae are, what what the processes are, what's acceptable, what's unacceptable. Yeah. Because it is such an overwhelming helplessness. Yes. And sense of just. And she was a very alive person. I mean, she was very she was mischievous and twinkly and kind of a proper one-off. She had a different hat for every day of the year. And uh, did she? She lived in a bright pink house with. Of course, she did. With these amazing wrought iron gates, which had a stave on them, with the tune B G G F sharp. And I, I asked my dad one day, "What is that?" And he said, "Well, can you sing it to me?" I went, "Yeah." He went, "Oh, that's who is Sylvia?" And I'm like, "Oh, she's got a musical joke on her gate. I love her even more." That's you know, fantastic. She was really cool. And did was it a sudden death, or did she know it was coming? Do you know what? She was quite old, but she just didn't seem like it. And I think she'd been a bit ill, but to me, she was invincible. So, yeah, it was sudden for me. Um, we'd seen her just like two days earlier. She'd come around for Boxing Day. Well, so, I mean, that is, I mean, in modern terms, that's very sudden. Yeah. I think one of the... One of the strangest things about death nowadays is that it's really sudden. Mm. It's mm. often very prolonged in very strange ways. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Which gives you, in some ways, a chance some to get chance used to, to the to idea to of to it. Yeah. But also, I think... Prepare yourself mentally, yeah. I think it robs you of something in terms of the grief because it because is prolonged. Because you start grieving beforehand. Yeah, you start grieving in anticipation and so then it comes as a surprise to you the difference between knowing it's going to happen, thinking you're prepared happening. for it, and then the reality of it, yeah, you, it's 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 like you've prepared for the wrong exam. You'd almost rather just not have prepared and take the exam for what it is. That's right, because rather yeah. than walking in and going, oh, I don't know any of this, and I thought I was, I put yeah. so much effort into getting ready for it, yeah, exactly. and I've completely missed missed the mark on what this <laughs> yeah. what this is. I mean yeah, absolutely. I think I've been I've been very lucky that I've only lost a handful of people who I was close to in my life. 
compared with some people I know who you know lost dozens. Um, but I guess most of them have been quite sudden. Yeah. So I haven't had much time to prepare. And I, I contrast that with watching my husband lose his mother when, you know, he had a couple of months to prepare for that. I mean, that was... But it nothing... But then I watched how it completely tore him apart when it actually happened, despite knowing it was going to happen. Yeah, I... For me, I had my whole life yeah. to prepare and really thought that I was handling it pretty well. You know, I was working and doing my show and all yeah. of that. And it wasn't, it's not, I mean, it's two years now. So it's not until now when I'm sort of. Uh, Do you feel you're moving through the grief? And It's more even that I felt for a long time that to really let it happen, to feel it, to go into the into the the emotion you know how you can yeah sometimes separate yourself from emotions at least a little bit you can yeah. like thinning scissors for hair you can strain it through so you feel sad but you're not you're not indulging yourself in the sadness you're not wallowing in it you're yeah. not letting it come in yeah, it's yeah, only yeah. coming in as much as it has to um and for a long time i kind of kept it like that because i thought that it would be or i had a sense that it would be too much which it is but also I regret that a little bit because even though it is too much, it's not like you're going to die of grief. No, do you, and do you know what I would, the, the one that's caught me most off guard, which we touched on earlier, was my, my ex died um, three years ago this month. And uh, I hadn't been in touch with him for 10 years previous to that. So it was a real shock to me, even though I knew it might happen. I think I've been kind of, hoping it wouldn't by anticipating it in a way. Does that sound crazy? No, I know exactly what you mean. I have I had a friend in school who suffered from very bad eating disorder things mm. and was constantly, you know, yeah. doing self harm things and going to the hospital and, and Yeah. After a while I started going Oh well. No, oh well, it's, it's going to yeah, happen. It's going to happen. So. It's going to happen. So one of these times, it'll and be. It feels the like time. insurance against it, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it'll be the time. So I'm just going to, yeah. just going to pretend, almost pretend it has happened already. Yeah. So that when it does happen, yeah, it'll be fine. As though, as though preparing yourself for that. Yeah, would, no, would I work know. in any way. I was so unprepared for it when it happened I found out I just finished a gig at the King's Head right there and it was about midnight and I just got a single email and I collapsed I literally physically collapsed and then for four months I was taken over by the grief because I think I'd packed away a lot of emotions and responsibility and guilt and all and all the complicated stuff that came with it. I was a bigger love of his life. Mm. Um, and I had That's a lot of responsibility. There was a lot of complicated um, stuff going on. So, it, it, But it, I, I was not prepared for how much it would take me over. And it did. It just affected everything. I couldn't... I, I needed... Um, the way I got over it, actually, was going away to Greece, to a Greek island where there are no cars. And all I did was paint and walk and look at the sea and play piano and um, Proper sit in the old sun. school, really old school, stuff. you know, <laughs> actually it worked. Yeah, that's yeah, it. And, and then I wrote a song about him, which was in the show that you saw. And I, that's where I wrote it. And then I came back and I could function again. But it was, ho it was very strange. I'd never known being... I sort of envy that in a way. Yeah. Because I don't know... I don't know that I've ever been non-functional. I've been, I've been very badly depressed and, and skating and not... Close to it, yeah. But, but I've always had... I don't, I've always been able to pretend to be okay. Yeah. I'm not very... I think maybe this is why I never ended up being an actor. Cause yeah. Like... 
my my husband always jokes that you can exactly read what's happening in my brain by looking at my face. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. Yeah, I I, I really I, I'm do. Not, I'm not very good at packing away my emotions. I I do tend to wear my heart on my sleeve. I lot. worry that I'm too good at it. Yeah, and that often the only way that I can express deep emotion is through art, because there is a, a layer of plausible deniability there. There's a there's a slight distance. Yes, there's a distancing. So that you it? can. You can look at an emotion rather than feeling it. But isn't it interesting that I needed to express myself through art in order to become functional again? Yeah. And it doesn't matter which, which side you come from. It, it, art is... Art is a very it, useful healer. <laughs> it is. It is. Because, I, I mean, for me at least, it is that thing of... It gives you just enough distance. Yes. And by m- mediating the experience, by turning it into something else... You overcome the feeling of helplessness, yeah, or not? Not you can't overcome the actual helplessness, which is that you have no power over no, life or death. No, but you can articulate it in a different but you can, way. You can have control over something. Yes, exactly. And and for me, it felt like a huge release. And I mean, it's, it's I, I don't I don't particularly understand it really. I just know what happened, and it seems horribly neat in a way go to greece but solve death (laughs) didn't solve it but i I certainly could just get back to because i i i I had never previous experience of death that you know had confused me but i'd always managed to keep functioning although doing weird things i mean when my grandmother died when i was 14 which is a year after my piano teacher died. I didn't accept it for a while. I, I was ringing her house. I was going around. Oh, that's interesting. To her, uh, her house, but secretly, so my parents didn't worry about me. So I kind of knew, but I didn't know. I ended up turning it into a monologue. And I was doing my A levels again. Yeah, see. And then I, yeah, came to terms with it. I guess. Yeah, there's a pattern emerging here. <laughs> And I wonder, I wonder if this is something that all people have or if it's only weird people, like weird arty I've type only, I people. I can only speak for weird people. <laughs> I mean, there is... Uh, I don't know. I think maybe there's... Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, it'd be interesting to To, to talk explore, to, to somebody who has only who ever wanted to be sensible yes. and see if painting a picture about their feelings helped them or was just yeah. annoying. Well, this is the basis of music and art therapy anyway, isn't it? It's really helps get through too. Well, I think for the most part we operate quite unconsciously of a lot of our um, uh, our channels. I think, you know, we're operating on uh, many different bandwidths at the same time and it creates the illusion of a a solid forward motion thing. But there's lots of different things that are informing you at any given time. At any time that you're not even aware of most of it. Well, you know, the fact that we are using words effectively... There's a time at which we learned those words, that the, those words got more meaning over time or lost some meaning over time. That they're a kind of, So we're, we're doing this memory bank thing, we're doing a free association thing, and yeah. then uh, our emotion or the things we care about is, is also driving us and the way we feel in our bodies is driving us. Your, your willingness to be open about death, for example, might have something to do with the fact that you didn't get enough sleep last night. <laughs> you know, all yeah. of those things are, are happening and it's very rare that you put like a sounding rod down in through the layers and and have a look at all of the different see see what's what's composing yeah what what the sediment is or what like where the paleolithic layer is or yeah and i think art sort of lets you access yeah at least interpret or gesture towards the complexity yeah yeah definitely without feeling like you're going to disintegrate reality (laughs) by looking at it too carefully (laughs) yeah because it's an interpretation, obviously. Yeah, and that, that, that for me is what makes it safe. Yes. And, and, and powerful. Yeah. Because then you're in control of it. Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why I hate it when people call my comedy comedy as therapy. Oh, do they? Yeah, it's <laughs> one of the things. I mean, particularly about Sav- Savage, which was uh, course, about yeah. death. And because it ha- was talking about complex emotions and was gesturing towards my experience. I was like, I would not be talking about this on stage if I hadn't already dealt with it. 
Like this is not an ongoing process. Oh, I see. I thought you meant comedy is therapy for them. But for they were talking well, about for you, for you. And I think I'm fine with it being therapy for them. Yes. But the idea that it's, it's therapy for me is so patronising. It is patronising, yeah. Um, even though I've just said that using it as a way yes, of articulating my emotions was was a way of... But that's your choice. That's, you know, yeah, but I think it, maybe... Well, I think the implication there is that, that you're taking offence to is, is, is that, that, you, that you're... You're only doing it because of that. Yeah, or also that I think that it's just a misunderstanding of what stand-up comedy is, which mm. is that th- that part of the job is to create the illusion of spontaneity when, if, in fact, particularly in a one-hour show, it's much more like a yeah. play. Yes. And so the emotion, while real, is controlled and deliberate and deployed in particular ways for particular purposes. Yeah. So that the idea of therapy implies some sort of cathartic spill of uncontrolled emotion when in fact I know exactly when I'm going to make you feel this by doing this with my voice like did you ever cry during your shows oh no once (laughs) at the end of the first Melbourne run of it uh, because I was talking about um, faith uh, the, the whole sort of show is set around an interaction that I had when I was on the way to the palliative care ward um, and I bumped into a guy I used to do athletics training with and he put his hand on my face. I, he asked me what was going on with mum, but clearly knew. Right. And But wanted me to tell him. But and I yes. told him that uh, she was dying and had a couple of weeks. And all of this sort of is drawn out in the show and you don't know that she's dying until okay. towards the end. But uh, he put his hand on my face and said, uh, well, I believe God heals in pretty much that tone. And so in some ways it was like a real attack on faith or what I saw as lazy yes. faith um, and, and, and using faith as a way to avoid dealing with reality and dealing with complexity and dealing with pain just to sort of... No, absolutely. And, and what faith was and what, why people like it and why people like that feeling of not understanding the universe. And, and so then... So that last day of the show my friend Jared McKenna came and he's a Christian like a faith minister and he'd been at a Christian faith conference and he brought I was in a 30-seater room he brought 15 Christian friends wow and you know new agey Christians so of the of the sort of friendly hail fellow well met kind yeah But but equally you know this show was a pretty explicit attack on on their faith. something that they could take extremely personally yes. and at the end of the show they gave me a standing ovation oh and i just went bloop, <laughs> and uh, had to kind of rush off the stage um that's but amazing. that's sort of the closest i came to which is not exactly part of the performance <laughs> no uh, but it was it was something about i felt like they had got they got the point and they the were the target audience went. They, yes, exactly. They were the people who I wanted to speak to, grab by the back of the head and shove their face into the reality of suffering and go, you know, fuck you and your neat answers. And that they took it and, and in the way that you want people to take a message in comedy, which is to enjoy taking the message and to feel it and to... F- to and not to feel like it's an attack on them yeah, personally. Which I think is the, the yeah. amazing power of comedy is yes. to is to bring people along with you, not to yeah. not to persuade them against their will, but to Absolutely. bring them into your world and bring them into your point of view. So, And the, the, the laughter is their continuing consent to that process. Yeah, absolutely. So that was, yeah, that was probably pretty good. That's That must have been quite a moment. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was the most emotional that I've, I've felt on stage, for sure. I'm still <coughs> getting used to the idea that... I'm driving the bus, you know. So for for many, many years, many years now, I've been everyone's sidekick, everyone's kind of helping them along, like steering steering the bus, but but not being behind. Yeah, being yeah. one step behind, which yeah. is kind of power and safety. It was absolute safety, and you know, I didn't. I don't know. It was just this year I went. Oh, I guess I'll do my own thing. And see what happens. Yeah. I mean, that's a step past the imposter syndrome, at least. Yes. And you feel entitled to at least give it a shot. 
Yeah, it was, it, you know, it just got a bit boring with everyone going, come on, you've got to do it. And, and like literally everybody. So I was like, okay, all right, fine. Yeah. But, but I just didn't, I didn't know I could, I guess. I mean, I think I did know I could, but I didn't know if I wanted to, I think. I mean, there's, I miss collaboration. I really miss it. And there's something to be said for that where you can become more than the sum of your parts with somebody else, like that you... I think that's why I, I inbuilt a, a bit where not only did I have to involve all the audience, <laughs> but I, I invited a friend on stage, like a guest. Because I think just feeling completely alone up there would feel really weird for me. I'm such a team player usually. Yeah, <laughs> well, for me, it's, it's, I think in my older age, I've become more, um, more isolated, maybe a little bit. But also just the fact that I didn't start doing stand-up because I wanted to, do, to be the only one on stage. I started it because I was... Uh, in New York and had no friends and was too depressed to make friends of the quality that you can get together and practice yeah. sketches or do improv together. So, I, But I still wanted to perform and I still wanted to do jokes and I still wanted to have that fun. So I started doing stand-up and then, and then it's just the logistics. Like once you realise that you can just do it on your own. That's so much easier, isn't it? It's so easy. So like the idea of suddenly having to organise someone else's life around yours and and it's funny i've been i've been in bands when i was much younger and then i wasn't and then i was mainly in duos for years and years and years and i'd forgotten why that was and then i've been trying to be in a band recently and i've remembered exactly why schedules yeah and not just schedules but but just having so many huge personalities <laughs> in one room is <laughs> really difficult yeah. A lot of the time. Well, it's also, yeah. At the at music's the easy bit. It's the uh, at trying to get everyone... At school university, you have all the time in the world and you have all the kind yeah. of proximity and you have that massive luxury of, of being able to yeah. just do something because you feel like it. Whereas someone, as an adult, who's in the real world, who's driven to be in a band, they're going to be a particular kind of person with very strong sort of desires. Yes. And especially as you g if you get five of them <laughs> at different stages in their lives with different kinds of lives with different so skills. So is this a, a comedy band or a straight straight up band? Bandy band A bit band. of both. Okay. But um, as in some songs are serious and some songs are funny? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And some, some of the songs are just a little bit funny but um, the music's amazing. Yeah. The music's the easy part and the, the you know the, the actual music itself it's fantastic the, the album will be coming out this year oh what's the name of it do you want to plug <laughs> it um look, just look out for a band called muscle m-u-s-c-l-e yeah um god knows who's still going to be in the band by the time the album comes out but <laughs> that's the it's a good album <laughs> i mean i think that's one of the things that a lot of groups miss out on is like the saturday night live rotating cast kind I've of i've got vibe. to say I mean, it's a real rock and roll story. With we we had a whole backstory for the for the for the the people in in the band, but the real story is way more rock and roll. But I'm not going to go into it right now because well, it's not my place. Well, three years from now, once the album is a success, you do a behind the music and yeah. reveal all of the like yeah. disastrous no one will backstories. <laughs> we'll make it a mockumentary, and then you can tell the truth and pretend it's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people find you online, Kirsty? Um, I have a website uh, which is kirstynewton.com. You can find me on Facebook, um, Kirsty Newton, and uh, I'm going to be trying to um, put a lot more stuff online. Cause I, this Ugh, tell me about it. That's my New I'm Year's really, resolution. I am it the was worst my New at Year's resolution I am the last worst. year. I'm just, I'm just not good at going, hey guys, look at me. Look at this. Yeah. Um, I'm just not that person. So I need right, someone to do it for me. I, here I really is a deal. You and I can like encourage each other. Okay. We can be workout buddies I'd like in that. terms of like please, getting please, stuff Because that's another thing I need. Like I need someone to kick me into shape, literally. And I need someone to kick me onto online shape. Yeah. Yeah. I, well. I, I Genuinely, it was my New Year's resolution for 2016. Okay, let's I shake on this. do it. All right. Shake. Done. And it's on, on the record. On the record. Uh, you're having tea with Alice. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you.
his mistress that we have got. Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the doffers at every frame. Lowly rifle doll, lowly rifle day. On Monday morning when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you doffers, cry up your hands. Lowly rifle doll, lowly rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie our ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lowly rifle doll, lowly rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lowly rifle doll, lowly rifle day.